glad that you have chosen to join with us this morning. This morning is our 63rd and final message in the series on the book of Romans. And uh, one might wonder, how do you wrap up a book like Romans? How do you bring it to a proper conclusion? What is to be the final word, the last impression, the ultimate takeaway? What are we to have in mind when all is said and done? Well, the book of Romans ends very fittingly with a doxology. A benediction is a pronouncement of blessing from God upon his people. A doxology is a declaration of praise from God's people to God. It is only appropriate that the book of Romans closes with a doxology, a statement of God's glory, as one thinks upon all that has been communicated in the book of Romans. That's the proper response, to glorify God for all that he has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. So our theme this morning is that God is to be glorified for who he is and what he has done. God is to be glorified for who he is and what he has done. The text before us is very difficult grammatically. Verses 25 through 27 are comprised of one long run-on sentence. And it's very easy to get lost in these three verses. The main point of the sentence is that God is to be given glory. I would encourage you to, to mark your Bible in this way. If you would underline in verse 25, now to him, now to him, that's referring to God. Then if you jump down to verse 27, you underline to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. That is the main statement of these three verses. That's the main clause of this very long run-on sentence. And everything else serves uh, as a, a modifier of that one great truth. Now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So why is God to receive glory? Well, God is to receive glory because of who he is and what he has done. Uh, as I said, this verse is very complex, and the reason is that it is, is it tries to bring together elements that have been uh, demonstrated or revealed or expanded upon throughout the book of Romans. It's a summary statement uh, seeking to bring us to understand why God is to be glorified for all that he, who he is and what he has done. So this morning, I'm going to be using a great many references in the book of Romans. Uh, you'll have to work hard to stay with me, but uh, we want to, to show the progression that takes place in the book of Romans and how this doxology uh, brings together uh, the main points of the book. So we begin with our first point, which is God is worthy of glory because of who he is. God's person or attributes is glorious. The words now to him that is found in verse 25 refer to God. 
Then there are three appellations or descriptions of God which denote his attributes which are given in this text. The first attribute of God is that he is powerful. Verse 25, now to him, these words, who is able, able. The word able is the word powerful. The Greek word is the word from which we get the English word dynamite. So God is powerful. The second attribute is that God is eternal, found in verse 26. But has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of, and here we find it, the eternal God. And then the third attribute of God that is depicted is his wisdom, found in verse 27, to the only wise God. So God's wonderful attributes are at the very core or center of the doxology. So we learn that we are to praise God for who he is. And the attributing glory to God makes a wonderful and complete transformation that takes place in the life of the believer. This is a culminating victory, if you will. If you remember back to the first chapter of the book of Romans, in that very first chapter of Romans, we are introduced to the fall of mankind. And in that fall, mankind did not glorify God for his attributes, his power, his eternality, and his wisdom. If you look at Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him, referring to God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his, here we find it, eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. In the fall, man viewed himself as wiser than God. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools, or professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They rejected God's truth for their own imaginations, and they thought they were too wise to believe in God. Now we find in Romans 16, 27, the great appellation that comes at the verse of, at the end of uh, verse 27, to only wise God be glory forever and ever. Amen. So now God is glorified for his wisdom. A similar doxology is found earlier in Romans. In Romans chapter 11, starting verse 33, it reads, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. 
how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So there is this giving of glory to God for his wisdom. There's the great change. There's the great transformation. Moving from a place of believing that one is wiser than God and now ascribing to God as the only source of true wisdom. But we also learn in the book of Romans that we constantly stand in need of submitting ourselves to the wisdom of God and not to rely upon our own wisdom. Romans 11.25 says, Lest you be wise in your own sight. And again in Romans 12.16, Never be wise in your own sight. Don't exalt yourself above God. Don't let yourself stand in judgment over God. Don't question his goodness. Don't question his decisions. Don't question his judgments. Don't think that you know better than God. Don't find fault with what God does, but rather give him glory, ascribing to him that which is due unto his name. Secondly, God is worthy of glory because of what he does. And what God does is summed up with the idea of causing us to stand. Verse 25. Now to him, now these words, who is able to strengthen you, or the NAS translates it, who is able to establish you. Literally, the word means to, to prop up or to cause to stand. So God is able to make us stand. What is to be communicated in that idea that God is able to make us stand? Well, we are to be drawn to a contrast that is to be found between Adam's fall and Christ enabling us to stand. In the fall of Adam, we are condemned, Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. In Christ, we are justified. Again, Romans 5.18. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So through Adam came condemnation. Through Christ comes justification. We are declared to be righteous. We are made acceptable to God. In Adam, we have a sinful nature, leading to even greater unrighteousness. Romans 5.19, For as one by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Many were made sinners. But in the person of Christ, we are made to stand. That is, we are led to a greater righteousness. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, referring to Adam, so by one man, that's Christ, obedience, the many will be made righteous. And it's not just talking about a positional righteousness that we have, 
where we are declared righteous because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also talking about a subjective righteousness, that, that we are going to begin to live a life of righteousness, that we have a new nature. And so in Romans chapter 16, verse 26, this comes to a concluding head. At the end of verse 26, I'll read the whole verse. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Now these words, to bring about the obedience of faith. Faith is going to result in obedience. Faith is going to result in a transformed life. And this again is a concluding statement of what is introduced in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations will be made righteous. So here is the plan that uh, we are to be made righteousness. Here is the accomplishment at the end of chapter 16. So glory is given to God because he has brought about the accomplishment of his plan. So thirdly, God is worthy of praise for the manner in which he causes us to stand through the Lord Jesus Christ. How does he cause us to stand? Answer, God causes us to stand through the preaching about Christ. If you look at verse 25 of Romans 16, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. God calls us, causes us to stand through the preaching of the gospel about Christ. There are two thoughts that are present within that particular phrase. The first is that the act of preaching is important. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ. So the proclamation of Jesus Christ is very essential. That's how he's going to cause us to stand. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing about the word of Christ. So having heard the word, having been taught the truth of God, we come to faith. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15, emphasizes the importance of this preaching of the word. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So um, God uses the preaching of his word, the declaration of his word, the communication of the gospel to cause people to stand, to become righteous, both positionally and subjectively. But what is primarily in view is not the act of preaching, but the content of preaching or the object of the preaching. Verse 25. Now to whom is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ. That is the preaching about Christ. It is introducing people to Christ that is what is going to enable them to stand. It's the content that's most important. In Romans excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we have these ideas coming together again. Uh, his wisdom and his power and his glory. Romans 1.21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what was to preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greek seeks wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So it's through the, the preaching of the gospel and then there is an unfolding of what this gospel contains. Uh, if you will notice in your uh, Bibles, in uh, verse 24, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 25, now him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, then in verse 25, we have according to the revelation of the mystery, and then in verse 26, according to the command of the eternal God. So the, there's this peeling back of this onion, if you will, the, the layers. So it's the preaching about Christ. Then it's the revelation of God's plan. Verse 25, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Uh, so in the period of time in which we live that has become much more apparent. This New Testament era, the, the gospel became much more uh, clear, uh, but it uh, was the same gospel from the Old Testament to the New, but it has become much more clear. And then we find out in verse 26 that this is in keeping with God's eternal command. That is his eternal decree. In the book of Romans, we find out that God had a plan before the foundation of the world. God had chosen a people to be saved, even before they were made. 
And so we found in Romans chapter 9, before the children being yet born, before they had done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, it was said unto her, which is Rebecca, the elder shall serve the, uh, the uh, younger, the elder shall serve the younger. For Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. God had chosen a people for himself even before the foundation of the world. God had an eternal decree, an eternal command. And the goal of that plan, the purpose of that plan was to bring about obedience through faith, which is given to us in Romans 16, 26. But has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. So God has done this great work through the gospel, a plan before the foundation of the world, a decree, a promise, and an activity of God. And again, we are brought full circle. For in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives his testimony. Says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. This, this uh, gospel was given in the Old Testament. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. And now these words, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name through all the nations. Paul said, that's why I was called. That's why I was saved. That's what God has given me to do, to preach this gospel so it would result in obedience. Now we come to Romans chapter 16. And glory is to be given to God, for that purpose has been accomplished. It has been fulfilled. Next, we see that God causes us to stand through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the focal point of God's glory. Verse 27. The only wise God... Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. We are pronounced righteous and made righteous through Jesus Christ. All of this, all of this transforming work, this standing, which means that we are acceptable with God and now we are living this transformed life is all accomplished through Jesus Christ. So let me rehearse with you the activity of Christ that is described in the book of Romans, which causes us to stand, which causes us to be acceptable in God's sight and brings about a transformation of life through faith. So it is through the death of Christ, Romans 3.24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption 
that's in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're brought into a relationship with God through the death of Christ, through the obedience of Christ. Romans 5.17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in this through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Christ's obedience is what brings about this transformation of life. Through the death of Christ, through the obedience of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. Ephesians, excuse me, Romans 6, 3 and following. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been cut from sin. We are caused to stand through the transforming work of Christ. Romans 7.25 Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of sin with my mind but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. We're caused to stand through the liberating work of Christ. Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Of the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are caused to stand through the intercessory work of Christ. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who intercedes for us? So on a constant basis, Jesus is interceding for us in heaven, which causes us to stand. Through the love of Christ, we are caused to stand. The scripture asks the question in Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So through Christ, the love of God that we experience will never ever come to an end. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're caused to stand through the example of Christ. Romans 15, 
1 through 3. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ died not to please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. So we are called to follow the example of Christ in bearing other people's reproaches, even as he bore our reproaches. And lastly, we are caused to stand through the work of God, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That was the goal. That is the purpose of the gospel, to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel brings about obedience, faith that produces obedience because of the work of God conforming us to look like Jesus Christ. We are to marvel at God's plan. We are to give God glory for that plan. We are to say how wise God is in the plan that he established to save us. We are to say that this eternal God had a plan even before he made the world. He had a plan to save a people. He had made a decree, a command, and he brought it to pass through the gospel, through the declaration of God's word. A word revealed in the Old Testament made even more clear in the New Testament through the preaching of Jesus Christ, declaring what Jesus Christ had done. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we can stand, accepted to be righteous and transformed in our character. The only response to that is to say, God, you are worthy of glory. You deserve our praise. We want to lift you up. We want to acknowledge all that you have done for us. God, indeed, is to be glorified. Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings as made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. 
through Christ Jesus. Amen. It's in giving this glory to God that marks the tremendous transformation that takes place in the life of the believer. Romans 1. Believing themselves to be wise, they rejected the wisdom of the wise. And they turned the glory of God into an image made like corruptible beasts, four-footed things, creeping things. We made God look like us. Idols were made. Representations were made. And in this modern era where we don't have idols, nevertheless, we make God look like us. We make God think the way we would think. We make God's judgments the way we would have them to be judgments. We stand over God in unbelief. But in faith, rather than turning God's image into ours through faith, we're transformed so that our image becomes like his image. For that was the purpose of the gospel, to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that has been accomplished by God. All of that has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. All of that is to be achieved through the preaching of the gospel. May we glorify God and God alone for all the blessings that we enjoy. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the blessings that we enjoy through Jesus Christ. We're thankful that through him we stand. We're accepted into your presence through the work of Jesus Christ. And we are transformed and brought into conformity with the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Slowly, but surely. And one day, when we stand in your presence, that will be completed. And we'll stand before you without sin, both objectively, will be counted as righteous, and also subjectively, we really will be righteous. And when we are in your presence, there'll be no more stealing, there'll be no more lying, there'll be no more cheating, there'll be no more adultery, there'll be no more sin. For we'll be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. We acknowledge your wisdom. We acknowledge your power that was able to bring this to pass. We acknowledge your eternality, a God who exists in eternity past into eternity future. And we are thankful, O oh God, that you bring us into your presence for all eternity future. And so we have everlasting life, never to die again because of the work of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for this period of time in which we are in. We pray for your people. Lead us and direct us. Lord, continue to bring glory to yourself in the way in which we respond to all the situations in life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.